How's everyone doing today? Good. That's what I like to hear. Oh, man. It's been almost a year since I first stood up here in front of those of you who were here. Um, and I'm so happy that I'm still here. Uh, I appreciate all of you being here today. Uh, I appreciate all of you watching online. Um, it's a good Sunday to be here. Like he said, we're starting a new mini-series, only four weeks. Um, Jesus' confrontation with the Pharisees, the scribes, other teachers of the Jewish law, and I'm kicking off today. My name is Eli Grant. As he said, I'm the youth director here at Spring Hill. Um, and as I preach today, my hope here is that we can all see the story in a new light. Um, and Lord willing, we can all walk away today different than how we came in. Uh, hopefully inspired and motivated by whatever God has in store for us. So uh, now as we dive in, I want to pray quickly one more time, just for our time here and for uh, this message. Dear Heavenly Father, we lift you up right now. We, we lift you up in this time. We thank you. Uh, we thank you for the freedom that you've given us. The fact that we can be here worshiping you right now is such a gift. God, I pray that you would give us all ears to hear and hearts to receive what you have for us in store today. I pray that you would use me now to proclaim your truth, nothing more, and for your glory, nothing else, God. I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to hop right in. So if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I will read our scripture, and if you don't have a Bible, we will also have it up on the screen. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when he had returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could, get, they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blasphemy. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving a spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorifying God, saying, We have never saw anything like this. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God endures forever. What an amazing scene. Uh, for me, and I'm sure for a lot of you, it's a pretty familiar story. Uh, but I doubt, even though most of us have probably heard it many times, that we've fully considered the depth of what's going on here. You see, the story of Jesus forgiving and healing the paralytic appears in three out of the four Gospels. It appears in Mark chapter 2, Matthew 9, and Luke chapter 5. And I think the reason we see it in almost all the Gospel accounts is because despite the story being short in length, 
the implications of what is said and the actions that take place are huge. Because in a short 12 verses, we get a solid look into the real ministry of Jesus. You see, I think when we think of Jesus' ministry, we often think of his miracles. Especially the miracles that seem to break some sort of physical reality of our world, right? Like his healing of sick or broken bodies or turning water into wine or walking on water. But I think we must realize Jesus' ministry was and is so much more than these things. Jesus' ministry was that of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. It says it in verse 2 that that's what Jesus was doing in the house. He was preaching the word to them. I like how Bible scholar David Guzik stresses this idea when he says, Jesus was a preacher who did wonderful miracles, not a miracle worker who sometimes preached. And this is the reason that I bring this up. Because I want us to think about something. And I don't think I'm wrong in claiming this. You can see Matthew 26, uh, 63 through 66 for support. But what I want us to think about is that Jesus was not killed because of his actions. He was killed because of his words. Not because of what he did, but because of what he said. And because of this, it leads me to believe we must intentionally focus on all of Jesus' words. But not only that, we have to focus on the response that he got from them. You see, you could likely assume if Jesus just walked around turning water into wine, you know, creating a bunch of bread and healing people from their sicknesses, there probably wouldn't be that much of an issue. And even if there was, it probably wouldn't be as bad as when he claims the status of God. But as we see in our story today, this is exactly what he does. Because who can forgive sins but God alone? So this is what brings up the issue in our story. So as we begin to dive deeper, I have three points I want you to keep in mind as we move forward. The first two are, one, the difference between the friends and the scribes, and two, Jesus' priority of forgiveness over healing. And keeping these first two in mind will help us to draw out the third, which acts kind of as a conclusion, and specifically a conclusion we must come to about Jesus, which is, Jesus is who he is. Jesus is who he is. And we must decide how to respond to that fact. So with those three points in mind, let's transition to looking at the friends of the paralyzed man, our first non-Christ key figures. So here we have these four friends. We don't know exactly how they heard about Jesus, if they'd seen him heal before. But it's likely that they had because Jesus' ministry was picking up exponentially at this point. I mean, the house he was in right now is crowded all the way to the door. But no matter our lack of knowledge about how they heard about Jesus, what we do know about them is that they believed, they strongly believed that Jesus could heal their paralyzed friend. And we see that there's seemingly nothing that would stand in the way of them getting their friend to Christ. These are great friends. Uh, And when I think of them, a story that comes to mind, not one of my own, actually comes from a, a novel series or a movie series, if you don't read, which is called Lord of the Rings. Uh, Maybe some of you have heard of it. The main character, Frodo Baggins, is tasked with delivering an evil ring to a volcano and destroying it. And he has a best friend. His name is Samwise Gamgee. Uh, And so basically, in the last movie, they get to the volcano. It's called Mount Doom. And they're climbing up, and Frodo becomes so weak that he can't go on any farther. 
And Sam, being the good friend he is, decides to pick Frodo up and begin carrying him to the top. There's a famous quote that he says here that comes from that scene. He says, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you, uh, as he refers to the ring. The scene is a pretty emotional one. It's one of the best in the trilogy, but the reason I bring it up is because Sam and that story reminds me of the friends in ours today. You see, the friends couldn't take away the man's paralysis. They couldn't take away that burden, but they could carry him to the one who was able to. These friends believed so strongly, their faith in God, their faith in Christ was so great that they took him up on a roof, they tore the roof open, and they let their friend down through it. It reminds me a lot of something we went over recently as well. If you remember, our past sermon series was in James. And in James 2, James talks about faith without works being dead. And I would argue that this story is a perfect representation of what James is saying when he says that. Because if these friends believed that Jesus could heal their paralyzed friend, but they took no action to getting him there, would you really think that they believed at all? It's something to think about. But we can see in the story, it is because of their faith that they take such extreme measures to get their friend to Jesus. And it is also because of their faith and their works based off of their faith that Jesus forgives their friend. Look at this in verse 5. It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus saw their faith. It's a great example for us of how faith and works go hand in hand. And it's also a great example of how Jesus responds to genuine faith. But like I said in the beginning of the story, I also think it shows us something much deeper. You see, when Jesus saw their faith, I think it's fair to assume he mostly saw it based on their actions. But I also want to point out, I do think that he also saw the friend's faith by the state of their heart. You see, Jesus has a deeper understanding of the situation. Look at this in verses 6 through 8, where the story makes it clear that Jesus is not only able to perceive what's happening externally in the story, but internally as well. In verses 6 and 8, as he turns his attention towards the scribes, it says, Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Jesus not only saw the faith of the paralyzed man's friends, he also perceived the questioning of the scribes despite nothing being said aloud. He saw an outward expression of faith and he saw an inward expression of uncertainty and questioning, but both were significant enough that they spurred him to respond, first by forgiving and then by healing. Now I wanna make something clear before we go any farther. If this was any other person in the entire world, really, the scribes would not be in the wrong for bringing up these questions. Uh, I don't imagine it happens a lot, but if it did, if there were random people walking around telling paralyzed people that their sins were forgiven, they would have the right to be skeptical. But as we know, the scribes, as we know, and how the, how the scribes quickly come to find out, Jesus is not just any other person. In fact, he's the son of God. And because of this, Jesus does not allow for their questions to go unanswered. He doesn't leave room for skepticism. Look at this in verse 9. Jesus addresses them. First, not by answering their questions, but by posing one of his own. And if you know Jesus, this is often how he responds to religious critics. 
It's very obvious Jesus is not the kind of guy you want to get into an argument with. Debating Jesus on religious matters in the Bible is kind of like telling Einstein you know more than him about physics, except it's Jesus. So Jesus being that guy, in verse 9 poses this question to the scribes. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk? And now, although it may seem like a trick question, I believe Jesus is getting at something deeper. I don't think he's trying to trick the scribes. I think he saw the legitimacy of their thought process here. Let me explain what I mean. Jesus asked what's easier, to forgive sins or to tell him to get up and walk. And of course, it's easier to forgive sins. But it's only because of the burden of proof. You see, Jesus knows, along with the scribes, in this moment, although he's told the man his sins are forgiven, there was not really any way of confirming it. You see, anyone in that room could have told the paralytic that his sins were forgiven, but there is only one person in that room who could say it and mean it. There was only one person in the house who had authority, which is exactly why Jesus does this next. Look at verses 10 through 12 as Jesus continues saying, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, so you know that I'm the real deal. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And in verse 12, it says, and he rose, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying we had never seen anything like this. It was nothing short of a mic drop moment for Jesus. Jesus knew that there was no way for his audience to know if the paralyzed man's sin were forgiven. So despite it already being controversial for him to have said it, Jesus proves it. And finally does what we can assume the man and his friends had originally come for him to do. He heals the man, and the man walks out the door. No questions left unanswered, and presumably no jaw that hadn't dropped to the floor. Because we really don't get any details about the responses of specific people at the end of the story. All we get is that in verse 12, they were all amazed and glorifying God. But honestly, that is all we need. You see, for me, this moment is not isolated in this story. Again, I think it shows us something much deeper. Remember the third point that I, that I had you note, the conclusion statement earlier. It was Jesus is who he is, and we must decide how to respond to that fact. The ending of the story is exactly why I drew that conclusion. Because in this story, Jesus is Jesus. But we initially see two different approaches to him. We see the friend's belief and we see the scribe's questioning. But despite their different approaches, in the end, there is no difference between them. The entire crowd, the scribes and the friends alike, had witnessed and acknowledged the authority and power of Christ. And I believe because the Bible teaches us so. This is not only the conclusion of this story, but of all of our stories. You've probably heard these verses, but to draw this out, I want to read Philippians 2, 9 through 11, which says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And so that every name, and so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the destiny of creation, but it's also part of the good news of the kingdom of God. Because we know here and now that we are able to 
accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So when that day comes, it'll be glorious and joyous beyond anything we could ever imagine. But hear this. Whether we do or don't accept Jesus, whether we view Jesus as the friends or as the scribes, in the end, just as they did, we will all one day know who Jesus is, that Jesus is and always will be Lord. So as we near the end of the message, I actually want to bring up the second point I, I had you note. I know it's a bit out of order, but you have to bear with me. The second point I had you note was Jesus's priority of forgiveness over healing. And the reason I wanted to note, you to note this is because throughout most of the message, I had you think of the friends and the scribes. And maybe that spurred you to think about which one you're more like, or maybe which one you want to be more like. But putting them aside, the reality is there is one character in the story that all of us are like. And that is the paralytic. Now, I know you're probably thinking, my, my body's doing pretty good. Uh, but when I say we're like the paralytic, I'm not talking about our bodies. I'm talking about our souls. In our natural human state, we need Christ's forgiveness over everything. And this is why, because although I'm sure there are things about ourselves that we would consider the first things wrong with us, Maybe it's an insecurity or flaw. Maybe it's a physical inability or difference. Maybe it's something going on inside of us, like depression or anxiety. For most of us, these are what's wrong. But for Jesus, it is something so much more. And Jesus' priority of forgiveness over healing makes that clear. You see, when Jesus looks at us, when Jesus looks at our flaws whether it's physical, mental, emotional. He doesn't see them as our biggest issue. Jesus looks at our sin. He sees that as our biggest issue because sin is our ultimate handicap. That's why Jesus forgave the paralytic first. And although it might not have been the miracle he was expecting, it was a miracle he needed. And so realistically, in the end, the healing of his body was just an extra gift to prove Jesus' authority. So as I mentioned earlier, we often think of Jesus' ministry as that of the physical healings. And I also said, I don't think that is the main focus. But I would say there is one miracle I truly believe the focus to be the focus of Jesus' ministry. I believe it's a miracle, if you want to call it that. And it is the miracle of grace. The grace that God showed us as sin died, as Jesus died for our sins on the cross, so that by faith we are forgiven, that is the greatest miracle to ever happen. Because think about it like this. Let's say I have a sickness, I have an ailment, my body is broken and it's healed. Someday it's going to break again. And one day it's going to fail completely. I'm going to die and this body's not going to matter anymore. But my soul, my spirit, the internal part of me being healed, being made right with God, not only does that have value in this life, it has eternal value. Jesus later says in Mark 8, For what does it benefit a man? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? And this is that same kind of dilemma. You see, the paralyzed man came to Jesus for a temporary fix, and Jesus offered him an eternal one. The saving power of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, is the treasure in the field that you would sell all your possessions for to go out and buy. 
It is the most spectacular gift ever given. And in this story, the paralyzed man received it not because he earned it, but because of Jesus' love for his creation, for his people, as broken as they often are. Jesus loves each and every one of us this much. Even when we're at our worst, whether it's physically, emotionally, spiritually, Jesus is waiting for us to approach him. And yes, sometimes it may result in some kind of earthly gift. Maybe it will result in some kind of healing. But we know that that's not what matters most. What matters most is that we know every single time we approach Jesus, and we're able to admit our sin and our brokenness, our need for a Savior, and Jesus as that Savior, he freely offers what we truly need, forgiveness and grace for those who believe in him. We are all sinners in need of saving. We're broken people in need of forgiveness. We are in need just like that paralyzed man laying in front of Jesus. But just like that man, we're also being offered this gift, a gift that we could never even comprehend, the forgiveness that we so desperately need. So knowing this, just as Jesus told the man to get up and walk, he offers the same to us. Maybe not in the physical sense, but certainly in the spiritual. So the question is this. If Jesus has told me to get up and walk, then why am I still lying on the floor? If my spirit that has become so overwhelmed by sin is now cleansed by the grace given in the blood of Jesus through faith in his work on the cross, then why do I live as if it isn't? Our true handicap in life is our sin. But when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, on the third day he offered a new way for those who put their faith in him to no longer be broken. He made a way so that the sin that weighs us down no longer holds power over us because Christ's power is greater. But hear this. Even with our sins forgiven, sometimes we may find ourselves still walking with a limp. Sometimes we may stumble and sometimes we may, may even hit the ground. But... With Christ's forgiveness, what that means is that the ground is no longer our final resting place. The sins in our lives, those mistakes that have left us feeling broken beyond repair, are not greater than the love and mercy that Jesus offers to those who believe in him, to those who have faith. It brings to mind words from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So today I challenge you to get up and walk. As we leave here today, let us try to be less like the scribes and more like the friends. Less like the scribes who doubted if it was possible and more like the friends who believed it was because it is possible. Because what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? 
to anyone who accepts the truth that Jesus has paid the price for your sins that you couldn't pay for yourself. Your sins are forgiven. So let us get up and walk. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this free gift of eternal life that you have offered us through Jesus. I just pray that for all of us, you would increase our faith. You would increase our trust in you. Help our unbelief in the power and authority that you have. And God, help us leave this building different than how we came in. Lord, I pray that you would help us to believe, help us to be more like those friends. Help us to do whatever we can to bring those around us closer to Christ because we believe that he could heal them. The part of them that truly matters, God. I pray that we would focus this week on your kingdom and your will being done, God, on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray that as we celebrate, as we spend time with friends and family, that we would just acknowledge where all good gifts come from, Lord. They come from you. We thank you for everything. I pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.